Hi, this is Ross Payton here with Roleplaying Public Radio, and you are listening to episode 26, Going Postal, the mailbag. We're uh, going to catch up on a bunch. Well, we've never done a mailbag episode before, so uh, we got a lot of mail to cover. The Email. end of the announcer voice. Yes, yes. Thank you, Tom. I thought, uh, I'd, I thought I'd do that, you know. Okay, okay, fair enough. Your own little announcer voice, the transvestite announcer voice. Yeah, whenever I do women, it always sounds like I'm on Monty Python. Exactly. Okay, the Monty Python cross-dressing like, announcer voice. Yeah, I'm not going to do it now. So, we've had an email address for quite some time, <laughs> rpprpodcast at gmail.com. And people, and we've all, you know, in every episode we say, hey, if you have uh, questions or uh, for us, you want to give us some advice. Well, guess or you what? want us to uh, give you advice, feel free to email us. And people have. And yes, w- they've actually responded. It yeah. makes me happy. Oh, I know. Nice. So, of course, we have uh, emailed them back. We're, I, I try to be pretty good about that, uh, but we've never really brought it up on the on the air before because I am lazy and I forget to do this. Yeah, so. you really haven't even put much of our Gen Con stuff up yet, have you? Actually, that's kind of quality is not so good on a lot of those exhibition hall ones. So, but we well, we got the 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 Johnny Nexus interview and the whole uh, oh yeah, the stuff Victor you Vic- did. The dig to victory thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see how this. Well, Tom, it's like, yeah, but the quality wasn't good, and by that I mean, Tom, you suck. Yeah. You should just not interact with the public. No, you should do an hour-long interview on Skype, Tom, with someone. I could set that up. I'm sure you could. You want to do an hour-long interview? I don't know. I'd really be scraping the bottom of the barrel by minute 27. I no, bet no, you. No, no, no. You see, people really like the interviews that I do where I let the, the other person, the person I'm interviewing, talk most of the time. Because that's really easy for me. It's like, oh, yeah, go ahead, talk. I, that means less work for me to do. So, yeah. It's like, it's like so, like, I mean... I, we're, we're going off on Well, by, by minute 47, I'd be, hey, you ever seen a grown man naked... I would love to hear an interview where you get, tell that to like you know Greg Stoles or uh, uh, you know Monty Cook. So I, I bet you no one's asked them that question before. <sighs> we should find out. <laughs> yeah, this is getting weird already. So anyway, uh, first off, we want to mention our couple of messages we've gotten that we really want to get off the first is uh brad rego at 221 films they uh sent uh kind enough to send us a review copy of their D mockumentary the assemblage of the crystal spheres a DD story and uh, i've watched it tom hasn't yet we will uh tom will watch it before next episode and then we'll have a big long discussion over it uh but i i just want to mention that off the pat put the link on it i think it's worth watching um if you're a DD player uh, it's certainly meant for that because you need to. It, it's very much for D and D players because there's a lot. They don't go the a route of a lot of gaming comedy movies where they try and uh, break it down for the people who don't understand games that well. So it's, well, the way you described it, Ross, my loins tingle in anticipation for yes, it. It's very much in the tradition of the Stephen Guest uh, mockumentaries, the sort of dry, uh, like best in show. Spinal Tap. I mean, that's style. I mean, right. I'm not saying this is good as Spinal Tap because nothing is good as Spinal Tap, and that that's not bad. I mean, no, you know, you shouldn't feel bad because you're not making. I mean, it. you should aim for Spinal Tap. Yeah, but you're never going to get to Spinal Tap. You're never going to have midgets in Stonehenge, so, and you're never going to have something as iconic as this goes up to eleven. So, yeah, Stone- yeah, just though, if you do pull that off, you are truly a exemplar among we're, men. Yeah, so. 
Uh, good job, Brad. We'll we'll put you mention you again in the shout outs, and uh, we'll mention you next episode because I meant to do this in episode twenty five, but I am lazy. If I mention that, um, then of course we have our first uh, person who's actually donated to RPPR. A uh, he's his online alias is uh, Todonori Oyama. And uh, he has a website, ccacomics.com. We'll mention him a little more in the shout-outs. Link been, to it. Yeah, so uh, big thanks to you. Yeah, and, uh, if there's one thing we like more than just the general praise, it's the money praise. Yeah. I mean... Right, yeah, I'm the one paying the hosting, so I'd like to actually not be in the hole for <laughs> providing our PPR to the audience. So uh, there's It's PayPal. a labor of love. We do it anyway. We do yeah. it anyway. Yeah, well, I mean... It's but when like we get money out. for it, too, it just... Yeah. We're like we smile. It's one less day without ramen. When you don't eat ramen, I do eat ramen. Well, you, not every night. You're not a college student ramen eater. Yeah, well, I eat a lot of ramen. Well, good for um, you. Like it then, do you? Not <laughs> kind of sick of it. So, uh, anyways, those are our first couple of letters. Wait, so we shouldn't out? do a shout out to Top's ramen noodles. Not those ramen noodles. I mean, good ramen noodles. I get them from the Asian food store, Tom. The Asian ramen noodles are a lot better than the American ramen noodles. Well, I would know. I haven't eaten any of them. You've never eaten Because I'm an American, noodles? and I have money. Yeah. No, oh, I'm sorry. Was that too hosting. soon? Yeah. Well, yeah, you're an American. You're not going to have money for much longer. You've been <laughs> watching true. the news lately? Yeah. <laughs> this is true, yeah. So, uh, topical. So, uh, let's get to the uh, first letter. All right. Our first letter is from P- Paul Vault. Uh, V-O-G-T, I'm probably Vought. Uh, and this is back from, uh, November, but, and we've already been emailing him back and forth a little bit, but, uh, just bring up the topic, I think it'll be interesting. Uh, so I'm halfway through your Halloween podcast, I'm enjoying it a whole bunch. Thank you. I'm actually looking for some help for a recent one-shot I ran. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dread, also known as that weird Jenga game. But it's a great horror game that builds suspense throughout, through game mechanics. doesn't involve dice or making a character sheet with stats at all. Uh, that in mind, it's really a great game to introduce non-RPGers to get them excited about the hobby. My younger sister, senior in high school, wanted me to run a game of Dread for her and three of her guy friends for Halloween. Came up with the following scenario. It's the 1950s, shortly after the CDC was created by the U.S. government. An outbreak of some weird disease has occurred on the Aleutian Island chain, uh, you know, between Alaska and Russia. On the Russian side of the chain, the players are a bunch of uh, CDC scientists and one Alaskan guardsman. They are escorted by a Russian translator, of course, who is a KGB mole. They're sent in uh, to follow up the first CDC team that uh, was never heard from. They get to the island in the middle of the night. It's snowy and dark. The mayor of the island isn't there to meet them like they expected. They get to town, and in the town hall where the first team was set up, and all of their gear is trashed, and one of their scientists has literally had his head beaten in. Uh, Otherwise, there's no sign of activities. So, what do they do? Um, Long story short, the townsfolk are actually pagan cultists that are bringing these diseases out intentionally to turn themselves into monsters in the image of the god they worship and bring the apocalypse, yada, yada, yada. I mean, that's all we've heard before. Cult happens. Yeah, exactly. Um, originally, they were like deep ones, but I couldn't come up with a compelling silver bullet to give the players a chance to win. My question is this. Can you help me think of a better way to resolve the story or how in general to come up with a metaphorical silver bullet for the players to succeed? They have motivation to dig further and get off the island, but I want to give them the specific way that they can win or find the monster's weakness. Thanks. Paul from Wisconsin. Um, let's see. 
My favorite scene was when they PPS uh, when favorite scene was when they went to the basement of the church and Mayor was the, the pagan priest. <gasps> Spoiler! And the first CDC team was hung on crosses. As part of their transformation, they had to form communion lines, and the mayor was going through the motions of Catholic Mass, only cutting strips of flesh from the original CDC team and collecting their blood in giant communal ch- uh, chalices that the townspeople, townspeople partook. It was rather awesome. It's certainly nice. Yeah, you know, one way of describing the the you know the blasphemy and the the evil and the human sacrifice yes, yes. awesome that's great nice visuals yeah so i sent him back some email uh but first i'd like to get your thoughts on it tom what would you have advised what well would, as what for, would you do in that sort of situation well i would have you know obviously for a way to resolve the situation either like, i would have uh like one like one if you're using pre-gen characters which i'm assuming they were Right. Well, actually, let's let's first talk a little bit about uh, Dread. I have your you you. I've heard you. I've heard of it. Okay. I've never um, played it. Neither have I, and I and I would like to. We'll Where have a link it, up it, on the. Apparently, it's kind of like it's you have like a Jenga thing. Yeah, you 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 know Jenga is that. Yeah, uh, I played that. I played wooden, that many times. Right. You game of wooden blocks, and you take one, and then you put it on the top. And obviously, the last person who takes one out and causes the Jenga tower to fall over loses. Mm-hmm. In this game, um, basically any time when you would be asked to make a skill check or instead of rolling, you take one of the Jenga things off and put it on the top. So, you know, the more at first it's easy, uh, at then it's not. And then and, it really starts to get aggro. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyways. Um, but as for what I would do. Yeah. Well, if they're using pregens. Which, oh, well, let me mention the. Okay. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, the other thing that you are doing um, is that once you get the once you cause the tower to fall over, you die. And once you die, but you can di- dictate what you can do. So, mm-hmm. like, if you if you're trying to kill the monster and you screw up and you cause the Jenga tower to fall over, then you could say, "Oh, well, I die, but I take the monster with me." You know, we mm-hmm. impale each other with my. You know, crowbar. Your I, pipe bomb goes yeah, off. And, exactly. So something like that. So okay. okay. Now, as for what I would do using pregens, if you want a way out, I would say, you know, or there could be a goal. I would say have one person have information the others don't. That that one person knows that they can send a radio signal that would cause an airstrike on the whole island. Okay. And um, that could, I mean, that could be one like not a silver bullet to end things, but get to a radio like. I, I well, first, them, so you're saying one player should have a goal, a, a secret goal, or yes, that guy, that he can solution. that he can choose to tell them about or not to. Okay, but or if or if everyone knows about it, then I would first the first thing I would do is disable their own radios, mm-hmm. isolate them, and then um, then find out there may be a, one working radio still on the island, and then try to get that to send the signal to bomb the place. Okay, why would you have? What what for you would be the reason to give one player a secret information? I just like actually I just like that. I've done games like that where uh, I give one player something the others don't have, or I give multiple players little bits of information that only they know about. Right. That if they were to combine it all together, would you know paint a big you know the the whole picture and. But the, I've noticed players are notorious for if they have a little nugget like that, like I'm never going to share this, man. This is all, like cool. I know something no one else does. Okay, and and you like that kind of tension in a game? I, I do, well, especially for a horror game. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, the, the, yeah. As for as for a silver bullet, um, well, if it's a disease, you could always go with a possible cure. Mm-hmm. 
But if it's a supernatural thing, I don't know if you want to do that. Well, um, that's actually sort of what I was thinking when I uh, when I read it is uh, I emailed them back with a couple ideas. One was the B movie solution: radiation. You know, since mm-hmm. the '50s, have a nuclear reactor on the island to sterilize it. And, you know, they they set it off. Uh, the thing solution: fire. You know, burn that. Ato- ato- well, an atomic yeah. bomb, maybe. Yeah, or yeah, that would be calling an airstrike. Modern versus ancient solution: science. Um, there's scientists, maybe they can come up with some, you know, there's this whole disease angle. Maybe they can come up with a cure or, uh, the call, call a Cthulhu solution, which was dynamite, you know, blow oh, yeah. the eye. <laughs> um, find some Tommy guns. And then the other call, call a Cthulhu, uh, solution, the Necronomicon, find some magic book, you know, the MacGuffin, read it. And then there's a ritual to like, in order to do the ritual, they can do, uh, you know, they have to get three items to do it, you know. So it's sort of like a step and fast yeah. quest. Now, if it's an actual disease, for an inter- interesting bit of effect, you'd actually have it be contagious. Yeah. And, like, infect one or more of the players with it, too. Okay. So, um... Just, there's all, just all kinds of things you can do, to, you know, yeah. do for that. So it's a very open, uh, open uh, scenario idea, and, uh... Uh, Paul Vogt wrote back uh, afterwards, thanks for all the suggestions. I plan on running the game again. Uh, the same game, but with my actual gaming group, so hopefully they'll get a little more into it than the ex- inexperienced high school students. I'm a big fan of Solution 5, which was the uh, uh, ritual one. Right. But he said, you know, uh, so I think I'll give that a As, shot. Oh, yeah, but I would say definitely have an atomic angle if you're doing it in the 50s. Yeah. Um, I think. I mean, the main thing would be something to give them... Uh, um, what you would call things to do. I mean, like, you don't want to make it so simple that there's only one step. Find the radio, call in the airstrike. You want to make it, you know, give them a, But that's an option. Yeah. Well, give it a, more, a couple more hurdles. So it could be the magic ritual where you need, you know, uh, a cup, a dagger, and the book. And then you have to get all right. three items, get them together, and then say the ritual midnight. Maybe for the radio, you could do the same thing. You need, you know, the power... The, the radio and the and the antenna. frequency yeah and the frequency or you need all the all these or or, the or things consider like the airstrike it's not it's not going to be a simple bomb they're going to drop an a bomb which means you're still on that island yeah and you probably want to get out or at least try to get out because uh the atomic bomb it's dangerous it's deadly <laughs> it's like a woman <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is a railway video I'll link to um. One of anyways, um, so yeah, that's 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 sort of a good idea. Um, let's uh, any other last words on uh, this idea? It actually, I'd like to say uh, I might I might right. steal this for one of my other groups. Oh, really? The whole scenario setup? Yeah, and uh, if and when I do run run that kind of scenario, I will I will share with the, with RPPR what happened. Okay. And uh, I'm totally I'm totally going to give full props to the guy who the original creator. Okay. I'm going to spread your ideas to all corners of the gaming world, man. Awesome. Awesome. That's what we want to hear. So, uh, all right, cool. Well, let's uh, do the next letter. Uh, I already have it up. Uh, It's called House Rules in Crisis. It's from uh, uh, Daniel in New York. And uh, he's talking, going all the way back to episode eight, the role of rules uh, made good arguments for and against letting the mechanics of a game take center stage. But the rules that are the biggest problem in my gaming room aren't the ones that are inside the books, but between our ears. Our, the most prolific GM in our circle is Kevin, a dear friend of mine of several years. Um, he's been running Dungeons & Dragons in a homebrewed world for longer than I've been alive. So, <laughs> yeah, anyways. 
In an effort to simulate a more realistic, in quotes, medieval feel, he instituted several house rules, literacy being a feat for all non-wizard characters, for instance, uh, doing away with the concept of alignment for non-outsiders. As time went on, the rules of the game changed. More house rules were needed to address those changes, either alterations of existing rules or prohibitions against them. For example, attacks of opportunity were abandoned, but feats that gave bonuses to AC against them remained as flat bonuses. Wow. So, wow, that's not good. Yeah, that's like dodge and mobility. Mobility gives plus four AC versus uh, attack yeah. opportunity. So pl- plus four for sing- for two feet. Wow, that's... Okay. Uh, meanwhile, crossbows or firearms were restricted to one shot per ten rounds. Holy fuck. What the GM thought were realistic load times. This haphazard approach to the rules led him to giving the nod to second-level characters with an AC of 40 and fighting tooth and claw against a gun that fires twice a comet. As you can imagine, things are getting out of hand. The GM is not unskilled at telling a story with a group of people, but he's come so dedicated to house rules that we, uh, what we're playing no longer can be described as D&D. And it's not only the system that suffers. We joke that his long-running Supers game doesn't use GURPS, but CURPS, Kevin's universal role-playing <laughs> system, with similarly uh, unbalanced rules. Uh, I can't imagine I'm the only gamer who has this problem like to request uh, this an episode addressing this complex issue. Which house rules do you become a burden rather than a blessing? How do you? Uh, how can they be overcome out of short of utterly abandoning these games? Uh, thanks for your advice and help. I'm a bad, avid listener. Look forward to any advice you can offer. So, I wrote a few things in, um, but Tom, what would you? Yeah. Well, I will say this. To me, house rules are not just rules you think of. Yeah. House rules need to be something the whole group agrees on. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just your rules. <laughs> and if they're, they're the, not the house's rules, they're, yeah. they're the GM's rules. Yeah. And I've been in a few games, nothing quite as you know bad as that. Where he's done some how the GM did some house rules that really were only there to benefit like one of his best friends, mm-hmm. or was to benefit an NPC he really loved. Right. And most of the time, the house rules don't benefit the game. Yeah. In my experience, they yeah. d- they d- uh, there have been a few times where they've been rather uh, rather unobtrusive and rather minor. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly, and mostly was like damage, kind of splash damage and stuff like that. So, uh, well, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be the the problem in that it's not favoritism disguised as something else. No, th- no he, this is a different situation than yeah, ones because I've the had. GM is. Uh, striving towards realism well there again striving for realism in a fantasy dungeons and dragons world is kind of defeating the point of the game i think well it's i mean nobody's ever going to get it right i mean the real world is so complex that you know the the supercomputers from the future won't be able to run it perfectly i mean it's yeah just, I but mean, then it, so if you do that it's not fun the real world isn't that's why we play games to get away I mean, from it that. can be fun i'm not saying they can't it's just you well, know most of the time we play taxes games to, and getting hit by a car and gunshot well, wounds so. most of the time we play these games to get away from the real world yeah exactly well i mean just uh, think about i do it. i mean a, a sword stab wound should you know does 1d8 plus 2 damage in D, and in real life it's uh, it kills you yeah <laughs> or causes you to start really bleeding yeah or lose several feet of intestines so um that's not exactly. I don't want to lose. I don't want to play. And the crossbows. Game. Yeah, that's probably for the average person using a crossbow. Realistic. That's why no one uses a crossbow. 
anymore or yeah. uh firearm i mean he's talking obviously about you know um very primitive early firearms uh flintlocks yeah and things, well yeah. muskets and yeah that sort of thing and even still yeah they were they were long load times but yeah it they they you could still there's a reason why we let, went from going from bows and arrows to guns. Two to repeating weapons. Yeah. Well, I mean, even think about history. There's a reason why we went from bows and arrows to single-shot reload weapons. I mean, because they still shot a lot further and did a lot more damage than they penetrated knight's armor, where bows and arrows. Yes. Which, which, then, which, 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 helped, which helped bring, bring about an end to the medieval feudal world when knights were no longer needed. Yes. So it's... History, yes. yes another tangent. So... In general, here's what I, I wrote back, um, and you make good points. Um, you know, it's hard to deal with this because it has a lot more to do with the people than the rules. Uh, like you said, it's not, you know, it's Kevin's rules, mm-hmm. not, you know, the, the house's rules. Well, he so, said that. Yeah. So I offered three suggestions. Offer to run a game yourself in a vastly different system or setting, uh, like a minimalist rules, like primetime adventures or rain, one-roll engine, something like that. And see if you can get the group to realize how great very rules light systems can be um and then or two start proposing your own house rules try to revise the existing rules yourself get the players involved i mean if you're you know rule lawyer him back you know you find mm-hmm. your own uh uh so using d20 you can even publish materials a pdf uh, see, we made our house rules official, you know. Um, three, point out how complex the house rules are to the group and see where everyone else stands on the issue. If everyone else is unhappy with them or has gotten bored of the game, then it needs to change. Now, uh, that's the problem is uh, um, some people don't think about it. And it, it, it's just, you know, where the group stands and how, how bad it's getting. I mean, if it's just getting out of hand, you really do need to... Uh, it's better to yeah, address the problem rather than ignore it and then have everything Yeah, just don't, don't try any passive-aggressive things. Don't try and snipe the be game. Assert, yeah, yeah. Be assertive with your opinions. Well, just be open with them and acknowledge them. So. But you don't need to bash them over the head with it. But yeah. but if you say, just like, hey, uh, yeah, like after the game, hey, dude, uh, yeah. can we lay off on the house rules? Yeah, can we... I know. And I trust me, if you speak up and the other players feel the same way, they're probably just waiting for one other person to speak up. That's true. And you start a snowball effect, like, yeah, and then they'll all start chiming in. You know, there, there are, of course, if you want to be a, a little passive aggressive jerk, you could just rules lawyer, you know, munchkin the hell out of them and become the most broken ass, you know, character you can possibly be. Be like, yes, I killed the dragon in one round <laughs> with my awesome, super cool, you know, short sword uh, scythe combo because scythes are so awesome in these rules. <laughs> Your uh, knife wrench. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, like what I, I remember one game of D&D where second edition Ravenloft, it was a game with 10 players. I know I've mentioned this mm. before, but I the guy had like 10 or 12 pages of house rules for martial arts that were all handwritten on a legal pad. Oh, and Jesus. I looked through. Well, the thing is, I was like, everyone else ignored them, and like, but I looked through them and I saw there was one ability. It's like there was a boxing martial arts path, you know, a hand, you know, fist punching. And how about it's like, come on, you exactly. But it let me. The first level power was have two attacks at one d ten damage, lethal damage, at level one. And Jesus. Yeah, that's like two great swords per round. And I was like, yes. I will take this ability. I will punch people to death. <laughs> I will cave in their skulls with my mighty fists. And uh, but then I got killed because the GM didn't got too drunk to understand the rules about magic. Ah uh, yes. So I was paralyzed. But dude, yeah, if you could do that with your hands, 
I take it. Yeah, it's like I I don't need gun, I don't need swords or armor. I can just punch you to death. So it's like I punch you I punch you in the head. Your head explodes. Yeah. So that's the other the other the other route to take. I think with uh, house rules in general is to. Uh, but that takes but that takes studying and you know concentration on your part. If you don't if you're not into studying and concentration, as I know many people are just gibbering, you know psychos when it comes to that. Just yeah. just say, hey, I'm not liking these house rules. You'd yeah. be surprised if everyone if everyone else is on the same page. You'd be surprised how much as one person speaking up. Yeah, because no one wants to be the dick and start shit. Yeah, but whenever whenever someone else does it, it snowballs. So um, yeah, I think that sort of covers it pretty uh, uh, pretty well. Um, of course, we'll probably talk about this in future episodes. If you have any issues with house rules. Uh, pro or con because house rules are kind of a necessary thing a lot of the times every yeah like actually in the D campaign i've sort of unofficially allowed all, well officially allowed a lot of house rules because you're undermanned and so i've allowed second winds and things like that to be used more than once per encounter because well at first we thought you could just use them however many times you wanted you wanted yeah and then i realized then we fit and we all realized and i think it was almost universal that's lame. Yeah. Well, because we were needing them badly. Because you're undermanned, and mm-hmm. you know, once you get back to a normal group, then I'll probably remove that. And we need a healer. Yeah. Well, we, that's uh, your problem. Yeah, that, that's our problem. Yeah. So, let's uh, go to the next letter. Uh, this is from Richard. Uh, it's from somewhere. From somewhere. Uh, yeah. Feedback for show and hosts. Hello, I have some feedback and questions for the show and for the two hosts, Tom and Ross. All right, Ross, before you continue, please stop doing that voice. <laughs> All right. Seriously. Enough. Flame Wars are complete and utter gold. I erupt into laughter every time I listen to the second Flame War where Tom says, then how do you explain those f- pictures of you as Piccolo with a 16-inch green rubber cock? It's brilliant. There should be more. So, ah. kudos to you. Well, yes, I have said that the, that the giant rubber, uh, green rubber cock is a rather fascinating thing. Oh, am I doing that now? Yes, you are. Good, I was doing it on purpose. Okay. Sucks, doesn't it? Fair enough. Modern League of Extraordinary Gentlemen should be an ongoing series. It's awesome. And we do have one more session recorded that I have not yet posted because... Lazy! Yes. As I mentioned, aside from all that work that I do do for the site. So... <laughs> <laughs> but still, when you're saying you're lazy, I have to jump in. It's my one opportunity. Like, yes, you are. Yeah. The recorded sessions are nice. Tell Cody that he excels at playing characters who can talk shit. With yes. Uh, that is Cody. What if Cody's a... Uh, uh, if only you could have powers. been there when he was on uh, Xbox Live. <laughs> I think your uh, rating actually went down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I got a lot of negative feedback. I almost got kicked from... Probably almost got kicked from Xbox Live for letting Cody talk on that. On my well, you let him talk for like 20 minutes. I know. <laughs> if uh, you get kicked off, that's your own damn no, fault. It's been a while, but I did get a lot of negative feedback for that. Ross, you tend to um and uh a lot as a GM. It sometimes can kill the mood, especially in Yakuza games. Where you were in voice LT, who was uh, I was under the impression was a complete badass. Badass is seldom um and uh. Yes, this is an ongoing struggle and a problem with me. And yes, Brosta prefers not to do these shows in the evening. But with well, no, this is, he's talking about the recorded games, the actual play. And the, when I'm improving, when I'm trying to improvise a ca- badass's character's dialogue, I, I just, yeah, it's mm. it's a nasty habit, and I should stop it. And I'm a horrible person. I'll just you know. Uh, beat my head over uh, rock for a couple hours as penance. Well, all right, as long as you got a plan. Okay. Uh, do you guys think you could someday do a Hunter the Reckoning session? The old World of Darkness is pretty much gone. Its fan base is still huge. We do actually, we I did run a six month Hunter the Reckoning campaign, and I do have a couple of the sessions recorded. 
So yeah, I remember that. They're out of they're out of order. I didn't get the entire campaign, but they're there. So I will probably post them at some point when we're low on material and we need to. And here. I'd like to take this opportunity to say I love the old World of Darkness. I yeah. played the new one. Yeah. I don't like it. When did you play it? I played it. Oh, I played it um, over. Like I believe it was in September when I last played it. Okay. I played two sessions. Oh, that's right. The uh, with the bear swarm, right? Is that what you're talking no. about? No. Oh. Well, I mean, I play. Actually, I played that. I did yeah. play the one session of that. Yeah. But I played two others. It was a vampire, the new one. Who was running it? Uh, one of my other groups. Okay, one of your other groups. Well, one I, one I no longer play with. Oh. Another one I just kind of met, hanging out, and was like, hey, you want to play a game with us? Like, yeah, sure, all right. Then I'm done. Tom, you like to play monsters, you've said. Is Clytemnosferatu your favorite clan from Vampire the Masquerade, then? And then he has a little emoticon of a, uh, a colon, then a capital P to indicate that he is sticking his tongue out. I see. Yeah. No, actually, Nosferatu are not my favorite. Is it Gangrel? Gangrels? No, actually, I, uh, I love to play. Oh no, Gangrel. it's a Shamise, right? It's Shamise. No, the Sedites. Sedites? No, yeah, the Sedites. I like reptile monsters more than I do any other monsters. Okay. Okay, fine. If you if you listen to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen <laughs> game, you'll know that. <laughs> All right. Uh, would either of you recommend a role player getting grubby little mints on a copy of GURPS? Well, if it's talk, you're talking about the current edition, yes, yes, I would. Okay. I actually, the system takes a little bit of learning. Yeah, it does. But once you've got it, it's actually a hell of a lot of fun. A hell of a lot of fun to make characters in. It's got a really good. Uh, there's a couple of really good character generators for it. Character yeah. assistant and a couple others. So yeah, I would definitely recommend Fourth Head Gerbs as well. You just need the main book. You just need two books really, uh, character and campaign, and that's right. all the rules you need for every, anything. Every, everything else is pretty much icing. Yeah, and then you can go to uh, older editions, Third Ed. There's so much good, uh, you know, the rules themselves, the point values are all off. But the the actual background material, the fluff, like GURPS Horror, uh, yeah. has a lot of really awesome settings. Just as an example, Kenneth Height wrote it. Kenneth Height, who is like a really, really good horror RPG writer. Like, he, he's good, okay? Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I gotcha. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Jesus. He wrote this uh, setting for GURPS Madness as sort of like an example setting. It's called the Madness Dossier, and, I believe. And it's basically about how there's an alien race that used to control all of humanity in ancient Babylonian or Sumerian times uh, through language. Like the language, they would speak the language and you would just be mind-controlled through the language like a mimetic virus. Mm -hmm. And all languages today have some trace of that original language in it and so yeah i think it's babylonian you know tower of babel uh but humanity rebelled and removed the aliens the aliens are on their way back you know trying to worm their way back in and so there's this whole secret organization trying to fight them off mm -hmm. and uh basically the the danger is that you know if you learn the it, any every language you know is a tool that can be used against you so very cool cool stuff yeah. so i also have gurps undead i like yeah. Which you know that gives that gives ideas to run a zombie kind of game. I'd love I told you about. It, I'd yeah. love to do. Yeah. Playing sentient zombies in a zombie apocalypse. Right. And helping the people. But yeah, you know, obviously secretly because you don't want them shooting you in the head. Uh, and then there are uh, finally th through and through Ross and Tom. What are your favorite games? Thanks for reading my email. Keep up the good work, you two. All right. I'm 
not exactly announcer voice, just weird reedy voice. Yes. I actually wrote back to him, so I'll, but you go ahead, go first. Obviously, my favorite game currently is Mutants and Masterminds. All time? Of all time, actually, yeah, I'm going to have to say it's, right now, it is. I have to actually say a close second is the setting of Rifts, of Rifts. I want, I want that to be clear. The setting. The setting of Rifts, to me, is awesome. Okay. But... Until someone, until you know, someone makes a, does riffs in another system, I don't see myself playing it. Yeah, yeah. Again, play, if anyone's out there, an employee, Palladium, tell Kevin Symbieta that he should really fucking update the rules. Then I'll play riffs. I'll run riffs. I will record. And I have. Riffs. And I, I want you to know, I have every riffs book. Really? That's how much I was into it. Even the ones that are being published right now, the new ones, Chaos Earth. I think. No, that yeah, I, I got. Year. I got Chaos Earth. Really? Yeah, it's you, it's okay, but huh. wow, you're a much more dedicated fan. I was. I gave up after God. When did I? I gave up before Australia came out. Nice. Yeah, I can't even remember the last one I got. I think the last one I looked actually for my Riffs book recently, and I found Underwater. Riffs Underseas. Underseas. I like it. that book. The that, setting. That's a good setting. That is a good setting. I would love to run that in a system that didn't fucking suck. And. uh have we ever, by the way, have we mentioned that we believe the Palladium system sucks? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's so bad, you don't realize how bad it is until you go to another game system, and then you realize, wow, like, I grew up with AD&D and Rifts and Palladium. Mine was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangers. Yeah, Palladium and AD&D, the fucking half-bred mutant retards of gaming systems. I mean, they're <laughs> just such ugly clutched together. They're all like, you know, welded bits from war games from the 70s and other RPGs from the 80s. And, and random tables. And random tables. Random tables. And just their own game designers' own idiosyncrasies all just welded together in this unholy abomination that should be struck down by... And who still insist they're good. Yeah. That's what's amazing. Well, AD&D to me. fans don't. They they, no. they recognize that Psycho, that go was wacko. Uh, but as they would it's, say, it's, but Palladium, yeah. I've, there's like it's like they still believe their system is really good. Yeah, it's like no, it's not. It's there's no unified game mechanic. It's all inconsistent. Character creation takes way too long. Um, attributes are useless after character creation, or there's some attributes are way too powerful. Some they can't be changed. They can't be changed on anything but skills. Yeah. And you can't change classes, the combat attacks per round, parrying, dodge, it's just you awful. can't you can't start as an expert in a skill. Yeah, it's just awful. Yeah, it, it really is. So Well, we kinda we kinda answered both ways, even though you only asked for one. Yeah. Well but currently Mutants and Masterminds is my all time favorite right now. Uh, I'd have to say an old world of darkness is really freaking good to me. Okay. Uh, here's what I wrote. Uh, my favorite games, Call of Cthulhu, All Flesh Must Be Eaten, Fear Itself slash Gumshoe, Gumshoe in general. I, I'm, I'm really digging Gumshoe. Right. Uh, which also includes Trail of Cthulhu, Esoterrorists. Um, a book of unremitting horror. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Uh, GURPS, fourth ed. Uh, Monsters and other, other Childish Things. No surprise there. Yeah. Uh, Wushu and Rhesus. Wushu and Rhesus I like because they're so light that you can run them on a moment's notice. You can get non-role players into them, anyone from school kids on up to adults. And I've had a lot of fun with them. So that All would right. be me, uh, my little, what you call it? Uh, favorites. favorites. Yeah. 
So, thusly, the question is answered. Yes. All right. Moving on. Uh, this is from Vila Wolf. She sent this around ho- a little after our hol- for- first Halloween episode, and she writes. This was Halloween of two thousand seven. Two thousand eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Can remember we did like a bunch of horror stuff related. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you, you, you memory. Memory gone. Can't remember things. Do. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I was listening to back shows, especially the, the Tin Book ones. thought you guys might find the Sectoria Protist interesting. Uh, she has a couple of links to it. It's uh, They are true, albeit microscopic, tentacled horror. This, of course, in the Tin Books, I was talking about some of the parasites and things like that mm-hmm. that are really freaky and could really, you know, be great fodder for horror games. Anyways, this is a protozoa. Protozoa do not have a cytosome mouth to eat their prey, but do possess two bundles of straight tentacles, each one terminated by a rounded structure like a disc, probably adhesive. When another protozoan touches one of these sticky discs, it remains glued, and immediately other tentacles are brought into play to immobilize it. Then a strange ballet begins, if you observe carefully. First, discs seem to dissolve the protozoan cell membrane, kind of like the skin, and uh, dissolving the skin. So then a sort of granulated flow is seen along each tentacle from protozoan towards the suctoria, uh, as if the, the cytoplasm was transferred little drop by little drop, so it's sucking the blood out. And then in a few minutes, the entire cytoplasm of the prey is phagocytized. Phagocytized. Eaten. Yeah, through the sectorian tentacles. At the same time, cilia of the protozoan stop moving. Some minutes later, an empty and retracted membrane of the protozoan is rejected. Um, Yeah. I have a friend who is seriously considering forming a metal band so he can name it after these guys. Yeah. All you really need to do is take that description, apply it to larger animals, <laughs> and you've got yourself a story right there. Better yet, treat it as like a template for like like normal animals, because nothing would be freakier. It's like, oh, it's a cute deer, and then suddenly tentacles come out and start sucking your blood. Yeah. Until you're a desiccated husk. So. Now that's gorgeous. So, uh, yeah, again, nature is really freaky. Now, of course, recently I've seen a lot of videos of squid and octopi, octopods uh, eating people, or not eating people, but trying to eat remote-operated vehicles in the Sea of Cortez, mm-hmm. changing color, imitating other animals. And I've just been reading about how, basically, cephalopods are ridiculously intelligent. I mean, they're mm-hmm. octopus, probably the average octopus is almost sapient. I mean, they're they're smart. Well, I believe that I heard it was like the top, the ten most intelligent animals, the octopus was number three. Yeah. They're they're smart and they're yeah. out there in the in the dark in the oceans. Who knows what they want? So, yeah, just think about that. There you go. You could have a you could have a whole game just just a you know octo you know octopi going through their day to day lives. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, um, anyways, we have another uh, email. This is actually a short email, but a good topic. I think your podcast, this is from Timothy. Uh, I think your podcast is great. The cursing gets a little annoying, especially in the bad player. Can you do an episode on campaign building or give me a little advice as a GM for groups and D&D IOs always have trouble writing a good story. It just seems like it falls apart and into chaos within the first half hour of play. Now, that's a pretty good, uh, problem. I mean, first, of course, there is a, uh, the, the cursing. And well, I've always done it. Yeah. It's simply easier than trying to censor myself. 
Yeah. I can like I can respond quick more quickly if I don't have to worry about what I say. And we're all we're all big kids out there. Yeah. You've I guarantee even if you don't use those words, you've heard them and I'm pretty sure they don't offend you. Yeah. Especially if you're a gamer. I don't know many Yeah, I mean, if you're a gamer, I honestly don't know if you could go through a game any gaming session of any group and not have someone swear. Yeah. I just it's completely alien to me to think that. Um, yeah, honestly, I've never, I, there are, some of the D&D games that we, we're going to have, I'm going to po- put the explicit tag on iTunes and mark it not safe for, but they're, because they're pretty vulgar even by our standards, but. Cody helps a lot of that shit. Yeah, yeah, again, Cody, he's, he's really good at talking shit. Uh, so there's that. But on the other hand, again, it, I just feel like we're doing this for free we're not you know if we went to a network of something obviously if we were if we were on the radio yeah we would do we would obviously yeah if the fcc was you know in charge it was you know or some yeah but i mean we're doing this and it's, it's us. Just, i think it's just more authentic that we don't go out of our way to curse though no uh, i think that's where it gets the problem when people swear for the sake of swearing yeah i read an interesting discussion on the fear the boot forums uh, where they were talking about what they liked and what they didn't like in podcasting, RPG podcasting specifically. And a lot of what they didn't like were podcasts apparently that had too much negativity, that talked too much shit, that talked too much, uh, bashed other everything they could, were very negative, very cynical, and very... And, you know, we are very kind of like, snarky like, and sarcastic. But like, that, like the people that refuse to review anything they enjoy. Yeah, they just like to put down things. And then also talk tremendous amounts of smack. Um, back and forth to other yeah. people. I've, I've heard I've heard some of those. Yeah. So you can't be that negative. But, I mean, if a rose is a rose and, you know, uh, something that's a piece of shit, like the Palladium system, is a piece of shit. You so just say it. Yeah. So that's our view you don't, of it. Yeah, you don't tiptoe through the tulips with it. So, um... But more importantly, we're a gaming podcast, and... Yeah. So it's we, just part of the culture. And it's, it makes... It, you sound more like a gamer. <laughs> <laughs> to tell you the truth, that's yeah. really why we do that. That's true. So, yeah, it, it is... It's not just us. It, it is sort of the topic, so... But you also notice we use other words, too. Yeah, we do, do use a lot of words. And we're probably the only podcast, I think, gaming podcast, that's really ad- addressed positivity, you know, happy themes, happiness, and mm-hmm. joy, you know, like our last And episode. things you enjoy. Well, Save versus Warm Fuzzies. Well, yeah. yeah. We, well, yeah, that was our last episode. Yeah, exactly. So we're, I think we're the only podcast that's really done an episode like that. So, yeah, think about that. So um, the second part is... Episode on campaign building. Give me a little advice as a GM for GURPS and D&D. I always have a trouble writing a good story. Always, It seems to always fall apart and into chaos within a half an hour fight. Now, I know where he's coming from because I felt the same way a lot of times when I was writing, um, trying to run games from the very beginning, when I was very inexperienced. You know, high, high school. school yeah. I remember those games, yeah. Yeah, it's you just you, you think you have this idea... And you can't quite get it to work. And when you play it, it just falls apart. Because it's like you have this... You're a student trying to build a, a, a birdhouse and shop class. And you can't get the nails in quite straight. And the wood's not aligned, cut right. And when you put it up on the post in your backyard, it, the bird goes in and it just... And it the explodes. baby birds, and they're like, oh my god, mommy, like, cheap, cheap, cheap. You know, that's kind of how I felt my first games were. That crappy birdhouse that was just, like, only, not even a mother, my, your parents are like, uh, yeah, that's a birdhouse. I, that's, I that's, recognize That's good. Yeah. Uh, like, don't let the Fair Housing Commission see this. 
So, yeah, there's that. Um, well, I think the thing about that, first of all, just remember the the point of games mm-hmm. is to have fun. Yeah. And even if, you're, even if you, your big genius idea doesn't quite go the way you planned, doesn't, you know, gets chaotic, but if everyone still had a good time, that's still a successful game. Yeah. As for keeping it, you know, to not descend into chaos, there's really nothing you can fully guarantee that, that will never happen. Right. There's no safeguards you can take to fully prevent it. There are steps you can take to lessen it. Yeah. First, uh, keep people, I say, keep people on track, first of all. Yeah. There's going to be banter, you know, there's me banter, there's me, you know, we're getting off topic, like we often do right now. Yeah. yeah. But uh, just, you know, be, you know, keep things moving. It says, you know, like, it's like, all right, uh, it's like, anyway, back to where we were going. Uh, right, right. Well, I think it, to have a more concrete example, um, compare the Esoterrorist actual play to the Fear Itself actual play. Esoterrorist, there's a lot of joking, a lot of off-topic banner, and the game sort of suffered a little bit. Mm-hmm. So for in Fear Itself, I said right at the beginning of the game, all right, I want you guys to take this seriously, or, yeah. you know, t- keep the off-topic top. The contract. Minimum, yeah. As you, yeah. Yeah, the social contract. The social contract of the game. Just yeah. and establish that right away. But when you're planning, I think the problem is, or at least my problem when I was starting out as a GM, is that I was way too ambitious for what oh, I was. Oh yeah, doing. I always I, like I, I had notebooks full of campaign notes. Yeah, and yeah, I just like I was going to do these incredibly subtle things. It was going to, you know, weave layers upon layers. It was going to be a tapestry of just all these. You know, I was going to do better than and, Lord of the Rings, and it ended up being a bath towel. Yeah. Didn't it? Exactly. Not even a bath towel, like some dirty thread and tears. A, ro- a, a dirty rag in a garage. Yeah, exactly. You know, covered with my... Yeah. Anyways. No, 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 no. No bodily <laughs> I was say fluids. T- just tears, but anyway. Okay, sure. Um, you're just not ready to do this, and you don't really understand the medium yet of collaborative storytelling, role-playing yet. So keep it... Uh, the main thing is... Kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. When you're starting out, when you're doing things, run very, very simple adventures. Because it's in a sense, it's kind of like cooking in a way. You can always add stuff in. If you start with a simple recipe, you can always add crap in. You can always add a couple new spices, a couple new things. It's hard to take cooking. things out. It's hard to take things out. So if you're like, all right, I'm going to start out with this. All right, they're going to get betrayed in the first five minutes and double-crossed 20 minutes later, but the good guys turn out to be the bad guys. The bad guys turn out to be good good guys. And then they they have to go, you know, three reverses of action, you know, three uh, dungeons later, three puzzles that they would have to get clues from all the previous adventures all put together. You know, you're like, no. Have it like, all right, your mission is to get a gold ring. It's in the bot- level five of this dungeon. Go. There are hostages on this third floor of this building. Yeah. You're, the thing I think new GMs don't realize is how little, in terms of what you have to prepare, will actually stick with the players. Very little of what you... And on the other hand, how little it takes to actually make a really awesome encounter. How to do something really good. Um, because you don't know... At the beginning of the session, what they're gonna really, what they're really gonna grab, what they're really gonna latch onto. Like uh, again, I didn't know that the players were gonna really connect with the Gripply, the the frog people in this D and D campaign when I introduced mm-hmm. them. Well, when they did, I was like, all right, I gotta center for the campaign. So yeah, it's more important to come up, just come up with not not so much you know whole stories, but things you want to put in. Like in a case, like all right, I want to put in. A street gang. Yeah. Don't you know? Think of a name, but then hold it in reserve. Mm-hmm. There will come a time when you'll you'll 
find that hey, I can do like hey, this is a good moment. I can throw that throw this idea in. Yeah, it's more important to have a big book of ideas. Yeah, like of NPCs, places, things, items, weapons. Just have a list, and then let this as uh, the story flow. I guarantee you, it will with very little help from you. Right, and you're going to find a moment when it's going to be good to bring X in. Yeah, or bring Y in, or take Y out and put X back in. Yeah, you know it. Don't try. Don't write a script, yeah. and then go. Then just try to go by yeah, the script. Don't railroad. Uh, obviously, um, of course, it takes time to learn how to improvise and adapt on the spot. You know, to readjust. Right, and and don't so, don't be too ambitious your first time. Yeah, just less is more. Only like three to five elements at plays. You know, like if you're running a modern game, I want a street gang, I want a kidnapping, and I want one complication along right. the way. You know. And a briefcase MacGuffin. Yeah. Like, all right. They So here's what it is. The players are hired with just those three elements. The players mm-hmm. are hired to rescue someone who's been kidnapped by the gang. When they get there, the complication is the there's also a suitcase that all the – and they grab it. They can't open it. It's locked. And it's a really high-tech briefcase. Mm-hmm. Very sturdy. They can't unlock it. Uh, they you know then have other bad guys try and grab the briefcase that's enough that's all you need you don't need anything else don't put that, anything that's easily a couple at least several hours yeah that's that's you see that's it that's all you need those four elements you know and then the, the next session you build off of that and you realize it only took that little to have that whole one session well what you do is once you take those four things you know the the gang the kidnapping the briefcase and then the bad guys who are going after the briefcase mm-hmm. stat all those up and that's all you need and then just let let it go. Say, um, and the the way the way I work is usually I think logically what would these NPCs be doing behind the scenes? What you know they have their own plan. Just pursue that plan. Yeah. So it's just and, a matter of keeping. Tra- and do some research too. Like you know watch actually watch some movies for plot ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well we've emphasized that time and time again. So. Oh yeah. Um, of course, speaking of ceiling, the best thing to do if you're a very new GM is to use pre-published scenarios. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Um, like it's only re- like for Call of Cthulhu, which is investigative mystery. That's pretty much all I've done. Partially because Call of Cthulhu scenarios are all really well written. There's so many good ones, but um, running a mystery is harder than running a dungeon crawl. But even a dungeon crawl, you want to keep it. You know, these people have hopefully been paid and they understand what they're doing. So they're going to be better than probably what you can make up from your very first time. So right. Run a pre-published scenario. Or at least a couple, and one at least to cut your teeth on. Yeah, and once you feel confident, you can start modifying the published scenario. Say like, all right, instead of orcs, they're lizard people. All right, all right, I'm an original GM, so um, instead of in a mountain, it's in a swamp. Yeah, the dungeon looks identically the same, but now there's mold that kills them. You know, something like that. So yeah, when you're a new GM. It's very easy for things to go downhill. So you just start very, just a few things and learn how those work. And, you know, like street gang, you know, maybe not even have the briefcase in there. Just a straight up street gang kidnapping thing. And then see how that works out. And once the scenario, once you're, you're, you can run a very simple scenario, then you can start working. Then you, then you can work your way, work way up to, you know, full on campaigns. Yeah. So, which you'll find are put together largely the same way. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Um, anyways, that's uh, so that's five letters. So you know we have more. We'll probably do another mailbag episode sometime in the future. But so if you have any uh, messages 
uh, or emails or uh, feel free to email us at rpprpodcast at gmail.com or if you'd like to donate again uh, we like that yes <laughs> we gotta pay that hosting bill so uh, next up I think we of course have a letter from Tom yes. and then we have a some shout outs and anecdote of course Well, the holidays are now over, which means the eggnog is drunk, the decorations are put away, and the fat, obnoxious relatives have gone the fuck home. What does that leave us? Well, we now look forward to another year and the breathtaking disappointments that lay ahead. It also means New Year's resolutions, the pointless exercise that many of us go through every year, promising ourselves to do the things we put off because of of having no willpower or desire to get off our ass and change our undies. You know what I'm talking about. The resolutions to lose weight, get that promotion at work, or to finally kick that nasty meth and dildo habit. I have some of my own, and since I'm a gamer, many of them are gaming-related owing to the fact that I have this glorious delusion that any of you listening to this podcast vaguely give a shit about my sad little life, I will list them. Unless you listen to this out of pity, you may want to tune me out now. 1. Get a game published before Gen Con. This is the big one, and the one Ross will most be on my ass about until August. I know that is a simple thing to focus myself and see it through. All I have to do now is get over my general apathetic mind, overcome my crippling fear of rejection, and see a doctor about the strange brown fluid that seeps from under my fingernails whenever Law & Order SVU comes on. 2. Bury the hatchet with palladium. And by that I mean bury the hatchet right into Kevin Sembietta's head, steel rifts, and put it in a system that doesn't suck like a Hoover upright powered by a quantum singularity. 3. Take up LARPing. Just kidding. It would be more likely for Richard Simmons to die of consumption after crying all night over the grave of his female wife than for me to take up LARPing. And finally, be able to run a game for a whole campaign without it devolving into a long stream of Monty Python quotes and PG-13 rated gay jokes. I look forward to accomplishing all of these resolutions this year. I also look forward to sitting in my recliner, sipping a fresh vanilla Diet Pepsi, and watching Uva Boll deliver his eloquent acceptance speech at the Academy Awards. back um so yeah you want to see uva bull win an oscar no i just say the odds of that happening about the same with me accomplishing all of those okay but you but by mentioning it now it it's more possible that that becomes true yeah now that i've actually mentioned it yeah so it's yeah so the you know it's you know maybe not a snowball's chance in hell maybe a snowball's chance in say a foundry okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, of course, now we have some shout-outs. Uh, to again, I'd like to mention two two one films for the assemblage of the crystal sphere. Uh, again, we'll 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 review this in more detail. But I thought it was a very sort of wry kind of observation on D and D players and culture, the different player stereotypes, kind of a Stephen Guest sort of thing. I mean, I'm, it's not perfect, but yeah, you know, there's there have been like four or five gaming movies that have come out, not just the gamers, but right. gamers. Uh, Uber Goober, some documentary that was just 
pretty bad. Uh, the gamers are pretty good, obviously, but oh, Uber yeah. Goober We wasn't. speak well of them. Yeah. Uh, did you see part of Uber Goobers? I got the DVD. And, mm, okay. no. There have been like two or three others. They all usually are like, the gamers are gaming or game. <laughs> yeah. And uh, most of them have been pretty bad. Just They make the same mistake of, one, not really being about role-playing but being about nerds. Two, just making endless variations of the same type of joke, which is, oh, they're nerds living in their parents' basement, which is, you know, mm-hmm. it can be a very funny joke. I mean, I'm, I laugh at the robot chicken stuff along with anyone else. Um, but see, they're also funny, too. Yeah, but it's not just that. I mean, there's a lot of fodder to in gaming and geek culture that and a lot, of, a lot of them stick with the obvious stuff yeah, listen to my interview with matt vansel who directed the gamers to talk a lot more about this and johnny nexus <laughs> so ross uh, is an artist yes an interviewer which you really aren't uh, i did one you just didn't do anything with it yeah because i'm lazy um so anyway that's the first shout out, Tom. You have a uh, couple of your yeah. I uh, actually watched some horror movies over the holidays. Yes, that's that, that's how I celebrate Christmas. Watching people die horribly. Yeah, I mean, fuck. Like, what am I supposed to do? Watch It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> fuck that. You could watch The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus, which is actually a pretty trippy claymation movie. It's where Santa Claus is raised by a wood nymph and a lioness. It's written by Frank Baum, who also wrote The Wizard of Oz. So there's like a there's a genocidal war where the four spirits kill a race of ogres. Talking too much, talking too much, talking too much. Yeah. Well, the first one I saw was Wild Country. Yeah. Which is a Scottish as a well, it's a UK but Scottish. Yeah. Uh, werewolf movie. Okay. And it's it, it harkens back to you know the the four legged werewolf back from like were, American Werewolf in London, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. And it's extremely gory, to the point of a little exce- a little excessive. But in my opinion, there is no such thing as excessive gore in a horror movie. <laughs> it's it just no. As long as it's people. As long as it's people. And not cute. As animals. long as it's people. Not as, well, as long as it's not cute animals. Right. Cows get slaughtered in this, and that that's fine. Cows can be cute. Where the what the hell are you thinking? Baby calves, things like that. Big eyes. They're still really stupid. Cats are pretty stupid too. They have they're a lot smarter than cows. <laughs> still, and they have more. Per- okay, if I may use the Pulp Fiction argument, a cat has personality. Uh, personality goes a long way. Oh, I see how it is. Yeah. All right. Anyways, my but, say- um, yeah. No, but it's it's hard to find right now. Yeah. But I definitely we'll rec- have a link up. I'll definitely recommend it. Okay. Uh, next, I would like to mention. Our first donator, uh, Tadori Oyama, yeah, uh, who has a website, ccacomics.com. We do, uh, as he says, we do silly sprite comics about various video game characters. So I haven't actually looked at it yet, but sprite. I'm comics already gonna give be- it a good review. <laughs> he like he it. paid us off. So, <laughs> so he well, he t- says he'd rather have honesty to bribe. Oh, us. I'm sorry. Yeah, but. Uh, we will put a, a, a link up there, and um, I'll take a look at it. We'll talk about it next episode. Yes, we will. Uh, so we can both look at it. But, I mean, you know, sprite comics, are they're usually bad, but not necessarily 8-bit comics. Uh, nuclear Power was pretty funny at times, although I stopped reading it long, long, long ago. But the guy who wrote it is actually writing a, a real comic, a print comic. Ooh, you know what I Ooh, yes. Yeah, yes, make yes. a fun webcomic. It's called Atomic Robo, which is about a robot who is does pulp adventure things so suplex, fight Nazis. suplex suplex he fights auto scorsini with mecca and 
Well, he is a robot. Scorzini has the Nazi mecha. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that Scorzini wasn't a me- robot himself. No, he had mecha. You see, he was the guy. So yes. Okay. Um, so that's our first, our second shout out is to CCA Comics. Uh, then you had another one. Yep, another movie. And just so you know, I'm gonna. It is a Tromaville movie, so that already conjures up. Many images, I'm sure. Yeah. Surf Nazis Must Die, Toxic Adventure. Adventure. Class of Newcomb High. Yeah. Pretty... Trom- Tromeo and Juliet. Yeah. Well, this one, it's Poultrygeist, yeah. which I just found at Best Buy. I couldn't believe they were selling it there, but whatever. And yeah, it's pretty much what you'd expect from a Tromaville movie. Yeah. It's, you know, this one is fairly simple about the spirits of the slaughtered chickens. In a fast chicken, fast food restaurant, mingling with the spirits of Indians on the burial ground of where the restaurant was built, coming together and turning people into chicken zombies. Okay. And there is much blood, much gore, and much defecation. Okay. Sounds good. And extreme, you know, extremely bad taste, excessive everything, and lesbians. Okay. Well, I didn't know why that was necessary, but all right. There are lesbians in it, just so you know. There are lesbians in it. So. I, I don't want anyone to call me a liar by watching it and say, hey, you didn't mention the lesbians. Why didn't you do that? Okay, fair enough. Uh, my next uh, bases shout are covered. Out, yeah, is, uh, of course, we mentioned Johnny Nexus earlier. Johnny Nexus, who wrote Game Night, a mm-hmm. very funny novel about gaming, where the gods are controlling little mortal character people as though they were in a mm. role-playing game uh very funny anyway uh if you haven't read that uh you can now read a prequel to it uh entitled saving stone uh it's thirty thousand words it's a free pdf uh johnnynexus.com slash saving stone and we'll have the link up obviously and uh, i haven't read it yet i just got the link a couple days ago but i certainly will and if it's anything like game night it'll probably be pretty funny so mm-hmm. i would uh and it's free i mean it's a free pdf and it's a pdf it's not like a big download so like what are you waiting for just read the thing come on don't be stupid okay i was that directed at me no that was directed at whatever listener was like i don't want to read that like reading come on that's why i go on the internet so i don't have to read books <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly uh, and lastly, uh, I know we've talked a lot about roguelikes, procedural content, and that kind of video game stuff, because that's a pet interest of mine. That's know. how Ross rolls. And there's a new roguelike out. It's called Speedlunky. And what makes Speedlunky different? It's like a it's a 2D platformer, preferably play, played with a gamepad, although you can't play it with a keyboard and mouse, uh, for Windows, Mac, Linux, all those platforms. So it's like one of those old, you know, Mario type games where you're running around picking up gems, avoiding pitfalls and snakes and bats and traps and things like that. Only each level is randomly generated and it's very hard and you will die a lot. And uh Well, that just sounds like a winner. Yeah. Uh so I have yet I've not yet played it, but I've seen a lot of gameplay videos of it, read a lot about it, and it seems very fun. And I probably will as soon as I beat Saints Row, because I picked that up for cheap and I like driving by and shooting people with guns but who doesn't who doesn't speedlunky is next on my list so uh if you like roguelikes procedural content and all that jazz and it's a free video game free computer game so go play it and junk yeah yeah so that's it for our shout outs and and what great shout outs they were lesbians (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, Tom. Uh, finally, you said you had the anecdote tonight. You had some awesome thing that you would want yeah. to uh, yeah, I'm, anecdotalized. I've mentioned before that my games with uh, Andy, who now has moved to Seattle and greatly saddens me that he is now there, not here gaming with me. Yes. Uh, but I, I, told, I, I told him I'd mention a lot more of our you know, experiences on the podcast. Okay. So I think, as I mentioned, a massive, you know, dry, you know, moving shootout and battle on a bridge. I'll mention another massive shootout in a different place. Okay. This was the uh, game we called Afterworld, which I believe you played in a couple of sessions of. Yeah, that was the where we sort of had the fall. I fall, fall in quote marks uh, falling out with Andy or something like that. Well, it was the uh, the it's the distant it's the future. You know, and dinosaur—they're sentient dinosaurs. Are the people? Oh, that one. That okay? No, I was thinking a different game. Yeah, yeah, no, I played that. I remember that. And so, anyway, was I a person or a dinosaur in that one? You were a person. I was a person. This was—I I, actually, this was. A, I ain't no freak who wants to be a monster or an animal. I know. Man. Well, actually, this is a second version I ran. I quit it after a while that I played with you, yeah. and I revamped it when I realized that all the players. I, I decided to do one thing. Like, hey, I'll, I'll have a quick kind of quickie session where you can play dinosaur characters just for like this for a fun one shot and all the players who were playing found out they enjoyed playing the dinosaurs more than they did the humans did they get better cool powers uh no actually the humans still had were much more highly powered there's a i could i could spend a long time talking about the specifics so i'll just say that the humans actually were technically more powered than the dinosaurs were uh-huh so that it told me that i should go with that Okay. And so it's uh, basically an action-based game. That's what that's how we roll. And this this is particular shootout was in a uh, was was in a opera house. Well, actually, a grand orchestra hall, or rather the restaurant that sat above it. Okay. And it's the it's the it's futuristic technology, so architecture can be a little freaky. What this was this restaurant, the whole floor was basically one-way glass. Mm-hmm. Where if you're looking up from the orchestra, it's just like a big reflective dome. If you're in the restaurant, you have like a big, just a big glass floor where you can see straight down into the orchestra pit. <laughs> and so during a big performance, and I had actually got a bunch of uh, classic classical music CDs and was playing it with a with the bass pumped up, so it really sounds like a orchestra live orchestra is playing. Right. There was a huge battle going on in the restaurant. I see. So the the orchestra didn't know what was going on, or no one. There was a full sold out crowd too. But, I see. And we were fighting. I I even forget what we were fighting. It might have been ninjas. It might have been robots. I don't even know. What uh, some cliche? No, I no. I remember. No, they were. Uh, no, they were clones. They were human clones. So they had minor the powers that a lot of the humans had. Okay. And there were about fifty of them. Okay. And then there, there's the players. You know, there's. Uh, Andy's player, who is the Triceratops with a you know pistol, who pistolier. My guy was a t- the guy. Uh, my kind of NPC was a T Rex, who you know had the equivalent of the M60. And we were it was we we just went to town on the whole place. We kept track of all the property damage we did, <laughs> and I made sure that I, I this was one time I did I actually planned that I planned the fuck ahead, which I planned every single thing was it that was in that restaurant. Wow. Every piece of furniture, what was in the bar. You know the if there were any servers still there, people uh, hostage possible hostages, tables, the flatware on the tables because I knew every bit of it would get used, and by God, I was right. <laughs> wow! Did they shoot through the glass? Uh, the glass—it's not glass. It's more like a kind of—it's like shatterproof, uh, reinforced, like plexiglass. I see. 
Uh, so actually, it can withstand explosions <laughs> because there was a lots of grenades being thrown thrown around. I was going to ask, yeah. So uh, the orchestra was not disturbed. I mean, there's like disturbed. thudding noises, and I occasionally like someone who was up in one of the upper levels might go, you know, looked at what the fuck was that? Oh well. Yeah. So you know, no one was knowing, and there's like blood splattering all over the you know the glass. So and no, but of course, no one can see anything from from down below. Uh, there was one one moment in particular. One of the clones threw a. Uh, this was a well, it was a it was a uh, corrosive it was like a corrosive grenade, kind of like a the class two solvent grenade. Okay. Not not just acid. Okay. And he was just threw it, and he it barely got out of his hand when Andy, his it was his system, and there's a way where that you have like what he calls kismet points, uh-huh. which you can spend to help a roll or make something really cool happen. Okay. He spent a lot of them and actually managed to shoot the grenade right as it left his hand. So it sprayed the whole place in, you know, ultra corrosive stuff that ate that ate through like twelve of them. <laughs> and uh, by that by that point, once again, most of the players were like, I'm on the GM, so I'm still running this. I'm, I have to be seated, but everyone else is like up on their feet, screaming what they're going to do next. It was one, it was one of those that it actually exhausted you, right? To play, you know, to run this, and by the time it was over, we all had to finally sit down and just, you know, high fives all around, catching breath. Yeah, those were the kind of games I lived for when I was with them. Wow, that does sound like an awesome game. Where'd you get the idea of having the uh, two, the orchestra below and the restaurant above? Um, I well, I thought I thought of it first because one of the ideas I thought I listed listed the places where I Bayfland where it would be cool to have a gunfight or a right. fight. One of them was a like a rotating rooftop restaurant, like in a hotel. Right. There was another one that was an orchestra hall, and I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I was just planning this planning this session and. Thought it done. So what just came to me like combine the two, mm-hmm. and I thought, and even better, have a full orchestra pit that doesn't know what the hell's going on upstairs. Right, so you can keep playing the music. Exactly, and uh, I see. And I, I had a pretty nice selection of like, I know this is supposed to be the distant future, and this is a different society of not of non-humans. I don't know what their classical music would be, but I was playing pretty. Regular. It sounds like Mozart to you. Or actually, uh. And what's even better, I don't know if it was fate. This was one of those things I did not plan for. But during the final battle, we were fighting the last of them. The eight, it was the 1812 overture. <laughs> it, well, nice. And it was I didn't plan it that way. It was right. an 1812 overture wasn't I even love the it last. When a plan comes together. It wasn't even the last song on the CD. Right. But it was just where we happened to be at that moment, and we're like, okay, I just decided I was just going to have them finally kill the last. I'm like, no. Fuck it, this has to end with explosions. <laughs> All right. So then, then of course, I you know this was a game I because I just had a gunship show up and then try to finish them all off. Yeah. And so rockets were exploding, and finally, you know, I think finally a few more people in the slightly lower rows noticed something's going on. I see. And they take it. I forget what exactly what they did, but they take out the gunship, which then crashes into the restaurant, doesn't explode. <laughs> And I and I finally and I said when the fight is finally over, I stopped I stopped it and jumped ahead to a to a pre pre prepared track I had, which is just applause of a grant like of a crowd like the performance is over. <laughs> nice, nice. And that's another one of those that we still talk about. I can see why it's a very uh, sound, a very epic fight. So, well, I mean that's I I, I get talking fast just talking about it. Yeah, no, I I, and, I can tell. I mean, and, 
I'll mention some more. Andy himself has run some sessions of this that the fights were just beautiful, too. Mm. Well, save them. I'll save them. I'll save them for later. All right. So I think that's a pretty good conclusion to this episode. They went postal. They were going postal. They were going postal. Yeah, see how that it all works together. Layers upon layers. Everything is connected. Yes. Everything. Uh, so anyway, if you want to be heard on RPPR, send us an email and we'll do another mailbag sometime. Yeah, and, uh, uh, well, they're good things to do. And also, it doesn't take much preparation on our part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, this guy wrote this. All right. So uh, this is Ross Payton here. Tom and, Church as well. And uh, we'll catch you next time.